Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Cultivating Change with Martin Mayorga. Nikki usually says hello here, but I let him sleep in today because the poor kid's been traveling with me and I think he finally hit a wall. So he's sleeping in. I'm here in Rockville, Maryland at our corporate office in Roastery and retail cafe and all other kinds of stuff. Chia packaging facility, etc. We're in the conference room. I'm here with Janae. Janae Powell is our VP of Finance, and she's been with Mayorga nine years now? Nine in June. Nine years in June. So why don't you say hello and tell us a little bit about you? Well, hello. This is my first podcast. I'm very excited to see what this will bring. Um, So like Martin said, my name is Janae Powell. Um, I am the VP of Finance and Administration. I do a lot of the system administration here, as well as um, checks and balances for assets and liabilities, making sure our employees are happy with their benefits, and um, yeah, pretty much a bunch of other stuff. System, people, money. what, when did you join us and how? Because so, you weren't always in finance, uh, in, uh, on the high-level finance side. So talk to us a little bit about About my doing. history here. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I was working at a contractor in Bethesda mm-hmm. when I found this position. And I was looking for another position because I was falling asleep at work out of boredom. Um, and it was too far to drive. So um, I found my year ago online and I came out when we were on South Lawn. Mm-hmm. And um, I met with our VP at that time, and she was like, well, there's a math test. And I was like, a math test? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I took the math test. It was no issue. Um, but I just came on the team, and at that point, I was just kind of figuring out the best way to do accounting work. Right. So I was just doing bookkeeping at that moment. Um And then over a set of time, I kind of mastered the bookkeeping side of things and decided that maybe I should try some more things that I like to, you know, be involved in. Um, I like systems. I'm Mm -hmm. a big computer system person. So I think when I wrote you the letter about, hey, I see that your company, Mallorca, that I currently work for, (laughs) could use a system administrator or, you know, accounting system person. So... How about system I, of any sort. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so how about I get involved in that? And um, at that level, I just kind of took on projects to better our infrastructure networks. Um, and that's how we got, we were able to get remote access. We were able to have people work from home, which mm-hmm. me and the um, VP at that time was sent home. We were under construction at South yeah. Lawn trying to expand. Um, and then... Um, over t- after being in that position for a while, um, things kind of changed after we moved to Goody. Right. And, um, you know, that level of management stepped out, and I stepped up into the position to where I am now. Exactly. And that's kind of how we, uh, you know, I think it's important to talk about the fact that you are 50% of the people that report directly to me. So it's you and one other person mm-hmm. here in, in operations. And it's not so much because I'm this, like, I want to create this like very, you know, unreachable kind of uh, position for myself. It's because I suck at managing people, and it takes a very special <laughs> type of person to be able to work directly with me. Uh, because I have very, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm predictably predictable in some ways. You know, I think, um, and I also 
demand a lot of independence and a lot of continuous improvement, not only professionally but personally, because I believe that that continuous improvement will come into the business and will add value. And to your point of what you were saying, I mean, you've been very instrumental in creating these systems that allow us to scale the business as we have. You know, uh, I think in every podcast I always talk about how we are a small company relative to the industry that we're in. We are much smaller than a lot of competitors whose business we're actually, you know, taking because we do things so much better. Um, my mindset of extreme efficiency with the supply chain translates into everything we do, and you've done a great job of taking that mindset into the operational side. You know, the, the systems that we put in, the very expensive uh, oh, yeah. management software <laughs> that we have that you've been able to streamline. I mean, talk a little bit about the working with, you know, uh, technology and assets within technology and how that's helped us really scale and, and grow the business and, and be more intelligent about how we run the business. Yeah, um, well, I think a lot of it contributes to your passion for being a, in front of the market. So I think you, um, a lot of things that you read that are like in the innovation stage, you kind of try to activate that now before the rest of the market gets knowledge of it. Um, and I think that kind of drives my ability to kind of tap into your vision and kind of make it work because mm -hmm. you're the type of person that says i want this to happen so make it work so you, <laughs> you need a person who says okay i'll I think make it be work the common theme in every staff <laughs> podcast we see which is basically it's like martin just tells us what needs to happen and like it, make that's it, it work. just make it happen right you know the episode i did with Eduardo is like you know, here's a, a 25 kilo or a 12 kilo cacao, uh, coffee roaster, set it up and you have like 30 days. And you know, this poor guy had never even roasted coffee. And, and for me, I think it's, A, it's a necessity and it's actually one of our biggest strengths. And one of the things I hear from our large clients about that, we're ahead of things. Mm -hmm. One of our issues is in the past, we've been way too far ahead of things. You know, with retail, we were doing coffee roasting and the, the very handcrafted coffee drink thing in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And customers are like, dude, what's going on? Like, I don't want to wait five minutes for a drink. You know, they used to go to 7-Eleven. Things have now caught up. But I do think that staying ahead of things is, is very important. And I think that's an asset that you bring and that obviously a lot of people in the company bring. But you and Aaron, having risen to the roles that you're in, have done so because of that. Because it can't just be me pushing. It has to be everybody else understanding that there is a method to the madness and there is a benefit of taking some pretty big risks which it's interesting for you because in the finance world risk is not an ideal word that ever gets raised oh yeah but i probably put you in a situation of having to be very comfortable with risk while also managing cash flow right what is that like um <laughs> other than a little stressful so by nature i am very conservative um but i think over time i've seen your vision work um, so it makes it more comfortable to know that it might get tight right now, it might be a little stressful right now, but this is just something to pass through. Um, and it allow it actually makes me be more disciplined. So if, I kn if I'm more disciplined in my daily um, tasks, 
then when you throw a project in there, it's more easy for me to manage because so I always have, like, have a, a rainy day fund for one of my crazy <laughs> exactly, ideas. Exactly, exactly. Like, hey, let's I'm build prepared. another facility. <laughs> hey, I'm, while we're at it, let's just do bean to bar chocolate. Right. Because we've been talking about I it bought a so truck. Long. Let's, you know, so, you Oh, know. yeah, put a truck on a credit card. <laughs> We gotta pay it off. Yeah, um, I I'm I have uh, less of a fear factor now because yeah. I'm a little bit more prepared for that. But I mean, it's definitely fun. It's challenging um, being here. My yoga has definitely taken me taken me out of my boundaries and created bigger boundaries. So expanded my you know ability to make decisions and work through issues and problems and um, just move forward. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest things I do that. I believe in that you and I discuss a lot, which is, for me, it's super important that everything we do, everything I wake up every day to work hard to develop and grow, is really, I see myself as a facilitator to help other people really, you know, replicate that and, and actually grow within, oh, hold on, my coffee's been de- being delivered. Let's take a little <laughs> break. Thank you, Fatima. You're welcome. Enjoy. Thanks. I'm having my coffee now. Thank you. Um, that's good. Let's talk about... Oh, I'm sorry. It's a Mildred. So I'm having the Mildred Munoz. Anyway, um, let's talk about that because I think that's an important aspect. That for me, one of the things that you've probably seen—well, you've definitely seen more than anybody—I'm not building this business to pile up cash for myself and to buy like you know nice stuff. And other than my obsession with shoes with chucks, <laughs> I don't really have any other big uh, you know expensive habits. But um, the aspect for me of, of what we do is we bring people on board to get them to help us um, achieve our purpose ideally which I don't think is achievable unfortunately but we're gonna get close but more importantly to then create a wider vision for them within their own lives mm-hmm. and for them to realize like they're part of something bigger and can be part of something bigger by putting a, a guy like Eduardo to work with our farmers in Mexico for Chia like you know, by getting Andy to go to origin to Colombia and to some of these different origin countries to take videos and get to meet the farmers and realize the touch points that we don't always see behind closed doors. But more importantly also, I always say to you is, I want this to be the best place to work. You know, and you see that a lot, you know, there's actually awards for it and I don't follow up with any of that. Talk a little bit about how we try to do that. How do, what are the things we do that and I'm bringing this up not as a finance thing because part of your role is HR. What is it? Uh, how do you see this? The way we operate on the HR side, like what kind of things do we do, and what kind of um, you know elements of that aspect do you think we're putting in place that in the attempt to try to make this the best place to work? Oh yeah. Um, so definitely over the last two years um, since Aaron Span, um, we have definitely increased our employee morale. Um, trying to make it more of a team and not our side and your side or, you know, this level and that level. Yeah, the like, kind of hierarchy. Right. Um, so the collaboration is better. Um, doing the monthly employee. Um, Wait, let's pause on that a little quick because, you know, obviously a, a company that's been around for 22 years, there's going to be stages and components. And I think when we say it's better than or... or you know, there was an episode, not an episode, there was a, a period for a couple of years where I kind of thought, well, I need to step out of the day-to-day in the facility here and, and put that in somebody else's hands. And in their defense, I think I didn't prepare them well enough to really understand, even though they worked under me for about seven years or so, um, to really understand 
the importance of people, the importance of not just making an impact for farmers, but you know the flat org chart, as I always call it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no hierarchy. There's nobody that you know. I hate to even be called somebody's boss. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that. So the the shift was from the, the grinding it out, which was like 18 years of like me in the trenches grinding it out, and me being like, okay, I'm going to step out. I didn't step out in the smartest way, and I think I learned from that and came back in. Um, not that I'm here all the time. I'm here every other week, if that. Mm-hmm. But I think technology has allowed us to stay in touch better. But anyway, that's the that's the shift, right? It was that shift of like me being here. I mean, I used to be here sometimes 5 a.m. to midnight, six days a week, and I mean, it was my orga was me physically here. And then when it wasn't me physically here, I think we kind of stumbled. Right. And then we had to kind of learn from that and, and shift back out into. I- I think when you did step out, we lost the main purpose of the people, like you said. Um, it became of, I give the order, you do the task, opposed to saying, you know, how can we all work together to make the purpose drive forward? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times when you have someone doing something every day and you're not listening to their input of how it could be better or more efficient or things that need to be changed and you're not taking that into consideration, you lose the opportunity to grow and scale. Right. Um, so that has definitely shifted in our favor, favor now where we you know, have the conversations, well, what's not going right? What can be better? You know, what can we provide you to make it you know, more efficient for you and for the company, whether it's, you know, learning how to drive a forklift, taking a class on Q grading, um, learning how to roast, you know, if you're in packaging position, you want to roast, giving you an opportunity to learn that so that you can, you know, grow as the company grows. Yeah, I think upward mobility is a huge thing for me. And I think it's kind of one of the tenets of my values, which is one of my frustrations. And one of the reasons I started the business was, I can't stand to see people who are limited by external factors to grow themselves, their family, their you know situation in life, and that's really the basis of why I started the business. So for me to ever run a company that way would be just completely against what I believe in because one of the things we do, and you're part of uh, the proof of that, is give people complete freedom to bring their whole selves into the business. You know we hire people for passion and purpose some talent is good Mm -hmm. but it's really that passion and purpose and then giving them the ability to contribute and grow and then benefit from that growth right and I think you and a handful of other people have really seen that and have experienced the benefit of doing that Um, you know and going back into the conversation on trying to make this the best place to work so you know one of the things that you and I work on is you know we push the minimum wage per se that we pay. I mean, what are we? What's our current minimum wage that we're paying? Thirteen. Thirteen, and we're trying to push that to fifteen mm-hmm. within the end of the year. Um, that's an hour, by the way, Just <laughs> <laughs> so everybody knows. Um, we do a four one k matching, up to four percent of everybody's income, and I push to try to get everybody on board. Right. We. On the health insurance, what are we doing there? Let me talk about the health insurance for a moment. Because okay. um, so when we came to the enrollment period, we said, okay, we're, this is open enrollment. Anyone who wants health insurance, you know, we match 50-50. Um, and a lot of employees still was not able to participate because they felt that that was just too much, their contribution. So we heard that feedback, and I brought it to your attention. You said, well, what's the best that we can do? 
Um, and so I figured it out, and now we do 80-20. So we, we ask the employees to pay 20%, and we pay the rest of it for the employees. And that um, allowed like 10 more people to sign up for insurance. Yeah. So even that was like a great victory for us because we listened to their needs. They weren't fearful to say, you know, this is not something that we can do. And we were able to come back with a solution that worked in everyone's favor. Yeah. So that's awesome. I think it's important. I think it's it's important to really understand the uh, and I, I'm kind of anti-structure to begin with. So when I hear, you know, and I, I deal in, in kind of a lot of uh, CEO type of environments and you know the things I hear from most people that are my supposed kind of counterparties are it's the opposite. It's like you know you got to maximize your returns. You have to really you know and they offer very basic minimum. Uh, packages to their staff and in my opinion it's like yeah you know they're probably not happy employees and maybe in your industry you don't need or care about that but like for me I don't want to wake up in the morning and feel like oh great we're supporting farmers but our employees are miserable right you know I think one of the proudest things for me is like this facility itself it's like a beautiful place that everybody should be proud of I actually built it to um to have uh you know visibility from every you can look into every room and 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 it's almost like this outward transparency and more importantly, when the retail shop has clients, which right now I walked in and there's maybe six, seven, eight people in the shop, they sit and literally look into the facility. Right. It's kind of that open kitchen concept where it's like we have nothing to hide and we're proud of what we do. And I think that's a, a big aspect of, of what you do and in, in on the HR side and the personnel side. And I think one other thing to talk about that you're aware of, obviously, because of your role and your knowledge of everything that goes within the company you know, in what we do, it's legitimately for the betterment of farmers and consumers to the point where we go against the industry norms across the board. And one of the biggest ones we go against is expectations of returns. You know, we operate in an industry where 15% net income is okay <laughs> for most of our competitors. And we're happy at, what, 6 7%? Right. right? <laughs> And why is that? Number one, I will never have investors. Just to make it clear, and all these people that call and email me and send me these great offers, like I'm not going to have investors because I don't want the responsibility to create a return for somebody who's sitting back in an office. And not having their hands in there. Right. Well, we're busting our asses, and our producers are busting their asses, and it's just not something I'm willing to do. Number two, thank God we don't have bank debt. And trust me, I've had bank debt, and I've had predatory debt. I've right. had 20% interest loans. I mean, I've been through that. I've been the guy that had no collateral and had to take some dirty money. Not illegal, <laughs> but from people who were very greedy. I mean, one deal we had, we were paying 17% interest plus 1% of revenue. Mm -hmm. Luckily, our revenue wasn't that big then, but it almost killed us. You know, we, had a, a, we did have an investor for all of three months. I woke up one day and realized it wasn't going to be something we were going to, you know, be okay with. And they converted their investment into a loan at 21% interest. And, you know, so we stuck it out. But my point is, the entirety of everything we do is real. We built the model so that we can, we're giving up 9 to 10% net income. Right. So that we can pass that down to the farmer and up to the consumer. You know, you go to the shelves at a retailer and our coffee is at twelve ninety nine for 12 ounces. Another competitor has the same coffee, if not lower quality, for fifteen ninety nine. Uh-huh. And it's greed and it's, you know, the, it's, it's dressed up as... Um, a quality aspect 
which again makes your job a little more challenging, right? Because we do have a lot of money flowing through, but we don't capture that much. Right. And honestly, what we do capture, I spend it before you even get it because I'm building facilities, I'm buying equipment, I'm deciding to open export companies in different countries, I'm deciding to hire agronomists, and sometimes my generosity also gets the better of me. But not necessarily spending, more of an investment it's back all investment, into the yeah. community. Yeah. Buying land in Latin America so that we can ideally you know, establish ourselves to put up our mills in really good spots. And you know, it's, it adds a little strain, but to your point, you've seen it. You've seen the numbers grow. You've seen the cash flow grow. You've seen the income grow. And you've seen our opportunity to support our employees grow. Right. Even goofy things like we have awesome family meals with our staff. Like yes. We, we brought food trucks in one day. Like we just kind of randomly like. We like to eat here. We do love to eat. <laughs> and I'm willing to spend money on food. That's another thing, by the way. So it's my shoes and eating. Those are things I spend money on. What else do you want to talk about in your world? Um, That's important. Another thing to mention, I'm being, I, you know, and I mentioned this with Eduardo when he was here. You know, we do some pretty sophisticated stuff. We just, it's funny because when I talk to people about what we do, they're so impressed and they're so like, they, they, they almost have this uh, like perception that we must be this like hyper sophisticated, hyper like, you know, <laughs> high level staff. <laughs> and it's like, it's like a handful of us. Mm -hmm. And like, we're moving millions of dollars we're investing millions of dollars we are financing with producers and, and and flowing money down to latin america in the millions i mean in a podcast with henry from perfect daily grind he on the spot asked me about our impact and i did quick math on just our our, our volume coffee you know if you take about four million pounds of coffee and the quick assumption is 25 it's more like 35 but let's say 25 cents a pound that we're paying just as a premium to our producers, that's a million dollars of premium we're paying our producers. I was on a chat last night with Juan over um, who, who does our, um, he manages our export company in Nicaragua, and um, we're putting together the documents because now producers all over the all over Latin America want to be part of our CHIA program. Right. So I got producers in Honduras, Guatemala, and Peru asking to be part of it. So we're putting together all the protocols, and one of the things I wanted to get to is cost of production versus our, our purchase price. Well, we did the math, and these producers, if they get a good yield, they're making 80 cents a pound. On a tough yield, they're making about 35 to 40 cents a pound. We as a company make like 10 cents a pound. Mm -hmm. We're giving producers three to eight times more than we make. Right. Which is so backwards for the way the industry is, but in my opinion, is the right way to do things. Mm -hmm. Even Juan, when he realized that, he's like, what? He's like... <laughs> <laughs> we can't pay them that much. I'm like, no, man, this is exactly what we're doing. We have to shift the supply chain. Yeah. So I don't know why I started on this, but <laughs> that's, you know, I think uh, part of, and you see that, you know, yeah. you get to be part of those conversations and you get to be part of, hey, Janae, we need to send a lot of money to Nicaragua. Well, I'll tell you this way. Um, like I said, I have left less of a fear factor. Um, and here's the reason why. Back in 2013, I believe, we went to Nicaragua. That was my first origin trip. And I remember standing in the fields of the Chia's, Chia. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, what is Chia? Yeah. <laughs> no one really knew what it was, opposed to the fact that it was on a purple flower. Um, but we just stood there, and I remember standing, and you had all the farmers around you, and they're like, okay, we're going to plant chia, but what are we going to do with it? And you were like, I don't know what we're going to do with it, but we're going to do something. We're going to make it work. 
and then coming six years later and we have this you know, chia machine, this packaging machine, yeah. the cleaner, no pack. Truckloads um, of chia flying in and out. I mean, we have chia out the nose. Yeah. <laughs> and you you made something happen out of something that no one knew what to do with. I only had a because in they had quit a need. Because of chia. They literally in the resignation letter said that I was distracting the company by this chia project, as they called it. Right. But look at it now. I mean, right. it, it's our, it sustains us to do other growth projects like cacao you know what I mean so um, because I was saw that in the beginning and because I see it now I have no um, limitations on your ability to scale in any direction right. um, and and because of the purpose because I stood there and you you know I had to have it translated to me but I stood there and heard you tell them I'm gonna find a solution for you because you need a solution. You need a way to make it to the table. Right. And I'm gonna generate that for you. And you did, and you still are, so. Yeah, it's, well, that's me not sleep at night, but it's really <laughs> what I do. And honestly, you know, what, I, what happened was obviously a crisis happened with the coffee fungus and you know, the Roya happened and that everybody stood around. I remember being on conference calls where people were like, well, what should we do? Let's create a fund. I was like, what does that do for anybody? We actually saved farms by planting chia. Mm -hmm. We saved the cooperative. The, the truth is what we're doing is just a function of what we do in coffee. The challenge I have in coffee is the market is so saturated with bullshitters right now that are saying things that aren't true. And now we have you know, self-proclaimed competition because I refuse to call them competition out of the marketplace selling junk that they're buying from traders, junk that they're buying out of New York, or junk that they're overpaying for thinking they're helping producers, but they're actually part of the, you know, the, the situation and the problem. And I refuse to fight that. I'm waiting for the coffee market to go to three bucks again, shake all these fakers and posers out of the industry, and then we can you know, go to phase four of coffee you know, <laughs> expansion. But now what I've realized is what we've done in coffee is so light years ahead of everybody else, we can do it elsewhere. Mm -hmm. We did it with chia. We're going to do it with cacao. We are doing it with cacao. We've already imported some cacao in the past. We're going to do it with beans. We're going to do it with quinoa. We're going to do it with more stuff. Right. In the conversation with Melanie, I mean, she wants to do spices, and she's absolutely right. The spice trade is even worse. I mean, the spice trade is like almost like you think Christopher Columbus. It's still the same shit. It's still the same supply chain as when Christopher Columbus came over and... I don't want to get into Christopher Columbus because I have a lot of opinions on that. But, you know, came to Americas and then things happened and here we are. So the, um, the fact is we have a great model. And my challenge right now is not sourcing, not financing, not operations. The market isn't ready for the reality of how we operate. Mm -hmm. Our competitors don't like it. And our customers and potential com customers almost don't believe it because uh -huh. it seems too good to be true. To have a better quality product at a great price, consistently available, where farmers are actually better off. Right. It seems counterintuitive. So that's our issue. And I don't know why I got into that rant either, but here we are again. <laughs> it's, all, it's all necessary to say. <laughs> um, any other interesting facts on the, you know, your... One of the things, too, that I want to point out that you get that is very rare in the finance world, and one of the things I learned very early on with finance, too many people in the finance world believe that their job is to manage money and kind of measure. And one of the things that you're great at and that 
has allowed us to really scale because of your ability to do this is to me, and maybe you've learned it from me or maybe by osmosis you've picked it up from me or maybe you just have the same mentality, which is finance is the most strategic position we can have in the company. Mm -hmm. Because to your point, your rainy day fund for Martin's next crazy idea is the fact that you understand that we're not making money just to make money and we have to be ready to invest in our future in that we're going to have to kind of feel the pain of maybe overextending ourselves, which we have and we will continue to do, and how do you keep the company surviving and thriving through that until the moment happens where we expand. Right. And I think that's a very important aspect of how you operate and what you bring to the table. Because if we had somebody in finance that was like, whoa, you, can, you know, we have X percent of... Who <laughs> can't uh, go past our mark. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I think that's an important thing that is good and very beneficial that you bring, which is, you know, you probably have your moments, you're like, what the fuck did Martin just do? But <laughs> at the end of the day, you get that there's a method to the madness. Right. Absolutely. So I think that's important. I appreciate that. Um, but this is about you. So what else do you want to talk about with you? Anything else that really stands out to you? Oh, let me ask you this. And this is something I should ask everybody. You're in finance. I am. You're in HR. You're in the IT side. How does our purpose for eliminating systemic poverty in Latin America play into your daily life? I mean, I think we've talked about it in a very roundabout way, but if you could summarize it, how does that play into what you do and how you do things? Um, so one of the things I guess that I always think about is, am I doing the best for the greater good? Um, and then I kind of translate that across the board. So um, if we're going to make this financial decision, is it for the greater good or is it for someone's personal needs or wants right now? Right. Um, in the HR side, are we giving our best foot forward to our employees so that they under so that they can go out and proudly wear our shirts and represent our company, knowing that? they're giving back like the company is giving back on an, indo on an individual basis. So am I providing that for them so that they can be proud to work here as yeah. well? Um, for the system side, it's more so a factor of how can we use this technology to scale us to the point where it flows fluently, that the less hands in it, so the less payouts we have to give mm -hmm. and we get the, the most increase out of it or them and also to our staff because one of the things that i always harp on is like if i see an employee like punching in information into a computer or whatever i'm like no how, how do we get this person to do more intelligent work right. you know how do we get this person to elevate their own understanding of the technology so that they can digitize this right you empowering know, them exactly to chase answers yep. um and to do higher level work i mean i think a good example was when we moved here and we had the, the um, machine, we used to hand pack everything mm -hmm. until we moved here and it was only, what, four years ago. We used to fill pre-made bags and then we bought this machine that takes the roll stock, makes the bag, fills it, puts the, val the valve on it and everything. People were very concerned that they were gonna lose their jobs. Right. And I remember talking to staff and saying, you know what, you'll now do higher level work. Right. Because rather than stand there and fill a bag, you're gonna be working with a you know, PLC control and this machine and learning about it decision and learning about making and exactly. programming 
And what, if you get in the minutia of doing something all the time, you don't grow and you get bored and you get stagnant and you like kind of die off, right? Yeah. But um, if, you're, if your task and your position is always elevating and changing, then you're learning you're learning and you're growing and then you're finding out what you like and what you don't like right and then right. you're kind of choosing your path as you're growing within your and you play into your strengths which in my opinion is where you need to be the you know your what you're passionate and comfortable in doing is where you want to put more time and energy right and i think we're seeing people kind of rise into different roles and people surprise us right when we take people out of the minutia and we take them into a level where they're doing the thinking they're doing the the processing mentally we see these surprises where people are like, "Well, I didn't know this person had this skill. I didn't know they were so good at the mechanical side, whatever it might be. Right. People really rise to it, which is pretty cool to mm -hmm. see. You know, one other thing I want to bring up, too, that there's something, a statement you made that really hit home for me, which was, last year we were at the Expo East. And just so everybody knows, I fucking hate trade shows. <laughs> I compare it to the internet, where everybody is there and everybody's booth is a website and competitors just walk from booth to booth to check out the website to see what they're doing but it's the real life version of it right. and um and i do it too because i'm there <laughs> so one of the things i saw was and i never said anything i'm like god this is such a good old boys club this whole industry mm. the food industry the corporate world the world that i operate as a latino immigrant where i've never felt that comfortable with my counterparts because I don't relate to them and because they think so differently. It was the embodiment of that. And the comment you made in a management meeting, which was right after that, was I liked the fact that our booth was so diverse because we had all our staff there. Not all our staff, but we. And, and it's funny because I look at that, I'm like, you know, it's not purposeful. You know, it's not that I'm trying to create diversity. We just bring in the people that we believe have the passion and the talent and the discipline to do what we need them to do. And ultimately what happens is our company is a reflection of our community, mm. which is interesting to me because I see these companies and they have like their supplier diversity office and they have <laughs> initiatives and like maybe just stop being systemically racist and actually hire great people. Right. And don't look at anything about them other than what they can bring from within themselves. <laughs> right. What like is we're our, having diversity day today. Yeah, diversity day. And that's why actually I, I, I don't like to celebrate like Hispanic Heritage Month and Black History Month. It's like, no, man, like it's not a month. Right. For some of us, it's actually our lives, you know, and there's a lot of us. Um, what's your take on the whole like diversity in our world versus the diversity of other companies? And how does that, is that relevant to you or? Um, I don't know if I would say relevant. I'm, my connection is to empowering people. Right. So I am a minority, so I, I guess I don't walk into a space and say, where are the other minorities? Right. Especially well, you here. Did if, you would if you walked into some of these coffee events right. and some of the, uh, <laughs> the food industry events. And you did. You did at the trade show. You're right. Like, we were the only diverse booth. <laughs> Right, it, and women too. Yep. So, like, um, even having women sit at the table and represent the company—that's not seen a lot in this industry as well. Right. Um, but I appreciate the fact that 
the culture here allows us to just be who we are. Yeah. I was thinking to myself driving here today, I was like, every time Martin sees me, my hair is different. <laughs> <laughs> like I keep throwing him for a loop, um, but I, I'm allowed to yeah. be who I am, right? If I was working somewhere else where I had to punch numbers for a company that everyone wears suits, ties, they all look the same, you know, it would be difficult for me to be who I am and bring my best foot to, you know, Yeah, you become almost a caricature of yourself in some sense, you know. I used to, and I stupidly, I think, towards the beginning of the business, I felt like I had to play the game and I'd show up to, you know, a sales call and slacks and a sports coat. But I wasn't me. I was sitting there selling and I was some other sales schmuck that wasn't me. Right. And now I'll show up. I don't care who you are, and just so everybody knows in the corporate world, I will show up in Chuck's jeans and a T-shirt. That right. is my uniform. That's what I wear. That's what I'm comfortable in. But you're going to get the best of me and my company right. in that, you know, uh, in what I'm wearing and who I am. And I just believe that. I believe that as humans, we have to let people be completely comfortable wherever they are. Right. You know, and I would wish that for my kids and everybody I care about, which is, you know, for people to just accept people. That's it. Not based on anything beyond that. Right. And unfortunately, I think you see these biases or biases um, really play out. Just go into the corporate world. Go to a few trade shows. Go to the coffee industry trade shows. The coffee industry, which was built on this, you know, on slavery in Africa and, you know, exploitation of Latin America. Right. Sorry, I ranted into the... Into no, the, it, and it makes me think of um, when we was in Costa Rica and we were going with a group, um, I think it was another company that we had invited some people come with us to Costa Rica, um, but maybe it was Nicaragua. But when we went there, it was like, we're not here to tell them what they need. We're not here right. to make their lives better. We're here to listen to what they need and empower that for them. Big time. Um, it's not our job to go in and say, this is how we're going to make your life better. Right. And I appreciate the fact that you don't have that expectation like other corporate companies do. Well, we put our own entitled, privileged definitions of happiness onto other people. And unfortunately, our definition definition of happiness in this society tends to be very materialistic. Yep. And from what I've seen and learned from producers and the communities where coffee producers live, is happiness is family, health, and just opportunity and just the, the ability to wake up in the day and feel like they're going to do something to better themselves and, and, and their family. Right. And it could be as simple as, like, better themselves and their family by planting avocados in their coffee farm, you know. Here it's like, did I get the new car? Did my kid get into the right college? Mm -hmm. And the, the values are so different. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's something I learned early on, which is let's sit back and listen to people. Let's see what makes them happy. And let's see if we can be a, uh, and let's see if we can be a conduit to making that happen for them. Um, and that's an important, you brought up another important thing. You're in finance, but you've been to Latin America. You've been with coffee farmers. You've been on the farm. That's another aspect of what we do that is very different, which is I want everybody to have been in these countries with these producers I mean, you were on horseback in Costa Rica <laughs> on a coffee farm. Right. You've been, you know, in Nicaragua. I, I look back at the Chia thing as one of my biggest successes because of what you said. I looked at the producer. I said, we're going to make this work. And we did make it work. And honestly, there was moments when we had hard times because we bought the Chia at a very high price. The Chia became a popular thing right at that moment. 
there was an overabundance of it and people wouldn't pay us that price and you know we lost a lot of money and it became right. a challenge but we stuck it out we lost the money and we kept going but my point is that's another thing that we do as a company that's important which is you've been to these places you've met these people you've seen the realities that they live in and you've seen the fact that we're going there to try to make that impact and I think that's a very important thing that you can't really shake out of your mind right right once you've seen it and that's kind of what I tell people it's like once I saw at a very young age how fucked up the food system is as far as the supply chain I couldn't not do something about it I had to do something about it I studied finance at Georgetown I was gonna go to Wall Street and be some complete asshole making a ton of money and then it just was like I couldn't I had to do something I left college I got called into the dean's office it was a whole thing and I was like screw it I'm gonna do this I have to so that's part of why I do that too which is like let's I want everybody to really see it mm-hmm. and it's cool because we sit at this you know we have our weekly admin management meeting and I think pretty much everybody at that table and pretty much everybody that works for us has been to these countries through Mayorga or came from these countries right. so I think that's part of what gives us all the ability to also realize that it's all much bigger than us yeah absolutely so anything you want to end with um I've had a great ride here and I hope to have many, many more years of growing and <laughs> scaling. And staying on your toes. And seeing what's coming next. <laughs> Lots coming next, guys. Everybody keep an eye out. Lots yeah. of cool things happening. Yeah. Thanks for walking over from your office. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll take the trip anytime. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you. And everybody check out Myorga at MyorgaOrganics.com. Or you can go to our Instagram, which is just at Myorga Organics. Thanks, everybody. Right. Until next time. Bye.